Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, my love tribe. Welcome to Heartblend Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Christian, and I help others love and discover themselves to reach their highest potential. If you're new here, then welcome. And if you're returning, then hello. I'm so excited and happy to have you here. And today we have a very special guest, Terry Tucker, who is going to share a lot about his life journey. And I really, really hope that you enjoyed this episode. I truly cherish this conversation. Hello, I am here with Terry Tucker, the author of Sustainable Excellence. He is here to share with us some really insightful information and some great tips on gaining control over mind. So welcome, Terry. Thank you, Lindsay. I'm looking forward to talking to you today. Absolutely. Me too. I always enjoy these kinds of conversations. It's always so eye-opening. Yeah, it, it, it's... I always look at these as, you know, at this point in my life, I'm, I'm, I'm looking to put as much goodness, as much positivity, as much love, as much peace back into the world. And, you know, if I can do that with you and I having a conversation and making a difference in the members of your audience, then it's been a good day. Absolutely. We need as much as possible, especially during this time. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, could you just share a little bit about yourself and just how you got to where you are today? Sure. So uh, you you obviously can't tell this from my voice, but I'm six foot eight inches tall. No way. Way, yeah. And I, wow. I played college basketball at the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina. Mm -hmm. um, and I have a brother who's six foot seven who was a pitcher for the University of Notre Dame, and then I have another brother who's six foot six who was drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers in the National Basketball Association. Get and out. Then my dad, yeah. And then my dad was six five, so. I always say to people, you know, if you sat behind our family in church growing up, there wasn't a prayer's chance you were going to see anything else <laughs> at the front of the church. So we got some giants here. It is. It's like, you know, but my five foot eight inch mother was really the boss. You know, whatever mom said, <laughs> didn't matter how big we are, tall we were, whatever mom said went. So we, right. we learned that very early. Uh, <laughs> so when I graduated from college, I moved home to find a job. I was actually the first person in my family to graduate from college. And I was all set to, you know, make my mark on, on the world with my newly obtained business administration degree. I sort of chuckle and look back on that now and realize how little I knew about business just because I had a degree. Oh. Fortunately, you know, I was able to find that first job. It was in the corporate headquarters uh, in the marketing department of Wendy's International, the hamburger, mm -hmm. the hamburger mm -hmm. chain. But unfortunately, I ended up living with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mom care for my father and my grandmother, who were both mm. dying of different forms of cancer. Oh my but goodness. professionally, uh, as I said, was in the marketing department at Wendy's. Then I became a hospital administrator. I was a customer service manager for an academic publishing company. Then I became a police officer and I was an undercover narcotics investigator and a SWAT team hostage negotiator. Wow. And then I was a school security consultant. I coached girls high school basketball in Texas was a motivational speaker. Last year became an author, but for the last nine years, I've been battling a very rare form of cancer. 
Mm. And then finally, just to round this out, uh, my wife and I have been married for almost 28 years. We have one child, a daughter, who's a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy and is a lieutenant in the newly created branch of the space uh, of the military, the Space Force. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, we're very proud of her. That is amazing. That's the first time I've heard that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Space Force was created in the last year of the Trump presidency. And it's, uh, you know, they, I, I don't know much about what she does. It's all top secret. Right. So, you know, conversations are very short, you know. How you oh, doing? My goodness. What's going on at work? I can't tell you. Okay, good talk to you. <laughs> oh wow, that is fascinating. I I would love to learn more about that whole thing. Like what's going on in space? Yeah, we need military for it too. You know? Exactly. Exactly. Mm, interesting. Wow. Well, you have an incredible journey. It looks like you've just kind of been able to try so many different things and be different roles. And how do you think that you feel like that kind of has shaped you into who you are now, like just taking bits and pieces from each role that you've played, or are you just kind of consistent throughout each role you do? No, I, th I think it, it has, um, you know, my, my grandfather, my, my passion had always been law enforcement. And my, my grandfather mm -hmm. was a Chicago police officer from 1924 to 1954. So he, he lived during the, the prohibition when alcohol was, was outlawed in the United States. He lived through the Great Depression in the 30s. And he was uh, also lived through the, the gangs, Al Capone and, and all the different gangs that were shooting up the city. And he was actually shot in the line of duty with his oh, own wow. gun. It was, it was not a serious injury. He was shot in the ankle. Um, he was taking a murder suspect back to the lockup and the guy grabbed his gun and there was a scuffle and that. But my my dad always remembered the the stories that my grandmother told about the knock on the door of, you know, Mrs. Tucker, please grab your son. Your husband's been shot and come with us. So mm. he had was diametrically opposed to me ever being in law enforcement. You know, mm. he, he had my whole life planned out. It's like you're going to go to college. You're going to major in business. You know, you're going to get out of college. You're going to get a great job, you know, get married, have two point four kids, live in the suburbs, <laughs> and have, you know, live. But that was the life he wanted me to lead. Yeah. To and that wasn't the life that I wanted to live. But mm -hmm. again, he loved me. He, he was doing this out of love, not out of spite. Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, he was my hero and I didn't want to upset him. So as I said, when I graduated from college, he was, he was sick. So I, I those first two jobs at Wendy's in, in hospital administration were really an appeasement uh, mm -hmm. to not, not hurt him as he was dying. But mm -hmm. when he passed, that's when I said, you know what, I, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to, I'm going to try to live my passion here and became a policeman and had a great time, did, did a lot of good work, helped a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I think, you know, things are, I learned a lot in business. I met a lot of great people, uh, but it just wasn't my passion. It wasn't mm -hmm. my purpose. And, mm -hmm. you know, when I speak, especially to young people, I always tell them if there's a passion in your heart, if there's something that's burning in your soul to do, but it scares you, go ahead and do it. Because mm -hmm. at the end of your life, the things that you're going to regret are not going to be the things you did. They're going to mm -hmm. be the things you didn't do. And by then it's going to be too late to go back and do them. Mm, yep. That is very true. Absolutely. Wow. So do you feel, um, how did you kind of come to grips of, I guess, taking ownership of your destiny? Was it just always in the back of your mind that you're like, okay, now I'm going back to doing that? And it felt right to do it. 
or was it something like, you know what? I think maybe I'll, maybe I'll try that and see how it goes. Like kind of, how did you kind of just step into that? So you're, you're right. It was, it was kind of the latter, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. I, I had, I was married. Uh, we, my wife and I had not had our daughter yet, mm-hmm. but I, I was, when my wife married me, I was a, you know, suit and tie eight to five Monday through Friday kind of, kind of guy. And mm-hmm. here, you know, one day I'm like, honey, I, I see this ad in one of the, you know, kind of local circulars that we all get for, we were living in California at the time in Santa Barbara at Santa Barbara city college. And it's like, you take this course and you can apply to be a reserve police officer. Mm. And I'm like, hon, you know, what do you think about that? And, you know, that was a, that was a huge change to, mm-hmm. you know, to go from, you know, working a, a normal quote unquote job to I'm going to work nights and weekends. I'm going to get shot at and I'm going to do exactly. Yeah. She was incredibly supportive. And I, I had a job. I I was a customer service manager of an academic publishing company Mm -hmm. and I would do that all week. And then Friday I come home from work, put on my uniform, go to roll call, work all night and then come home Saturday morning. And, And I remember she said, she said, you know, you come home. Yes. Exhausted, but with this big smile on your face. Mm -hmm. And that's something that, you know, you, you know, you're doing the right thing. You know, you, you're following your dreams. And mm-hmm. when we had our daughter and moved back to the Midwest, where we're both from, I uh, got on with the Cincinnati Police Department and had a, had a 10 year career with them until my wife lost her job and we needed to move. And so I needed to support her then. So I had to leave the job. And that's when I became a security consultant. So yeah, all, I think everything kind of dovetailed mm-hmm. in, into the next job and things like that. But you know, you, you just have to be, you have to be open for it. I mean, I was a, like you said, a 37 year old rookie police officer, which by most accounts is, is old to be starting that kind of work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you, do you feel like it met your expectation of what you thought you would, how it would be when you started doing it? You know, I, I was, I was very altruistic. You know, I, I, I did that job because I wanted to make a difference. You mm-hmm. know, I, I, I wanted to, to help my community and things like that. And I remember talking <clears throat> as a reserve officer in Santa Barbara, we, we were not on our own. We were always with a, a sworn officer. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking to one of them one day, we were riding around and I'm like, you know, this is great. You know, you make a difference. And he was like, you don't make a difference. All, <laughs> all you're doing is, is basically sticking your finger in the dike over here to stop this leak. And then there's mm-hmm. another leak over here that you're trying. He said, you never, you never make a difference. And, mm-hmm. and I, I didn't quite understand that until I became a, a full-time officer. And, and mm-hmm. you know, you would, you know, it's kind of like business, you know, the, the mm-hmm. 80-20 rule in business. 80% of your business comes from 20% of your customers. Well, in law enforcement, it's the same thing. You know, 80% mm-hmm. of the crime comes from 20% of, of the bad guys. So mm-hmm. you, you get to know them and they get to know you. And, it, you know, it's sort of a, I'm going to use the word fraternity, but in a way that that's kind of who it is because mm-hmm. you, you deal with these people constantly and, mm-hmm. as, you know, domestic violence runs. It's like, well, you've been married for 20 years. You know, you're beating the heck out of each other and you want me to solve this problem in 20 minutes. That's right. That's just not realistic. You, you do the right. best you can, but um, you know, I, I can't save the world, but maybe I can save my little piece of it. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, when we just, um, kind of follow our path. And we, sometimes we don't, we underestimate the way we like uh, make an impact on other people. Cause no one's really going to tell you, Hey, you really changed my life. <laughs> um, 
but you never know, you know, uh, how you can impact someone. But I think we all go in that way, um, with wanting to make a difference, like really have this, um, you know, save the world complex in a way. And then it gets overwhelming when you realize like, it's like kind of doing a whack-a-mole. Like it's like, it just keeps coming up because it's just the, the consciousness of the people, you know, you can't change that part. Only they can change it. You can't change it. So I think that's why it's a good topic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and that's so true. And it's funny you, you mentioned that I, I I don't want to get ahead on the conversation, but in in terms of my cancer journey, I had a nurse recently, I'm in a clinical trial of a drug that kind of beats me up. I have to go for a week every day to the hospital. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm there for a number of hours. And, and this nurse, when I first met her was in training, she was with another nurse. She she was already a a nurse, but in terms of how the unit worked and things like that. Mm -hmm. And and several months later, she's taking care of me, you know, full-time individually and she says, I got a story to tell you. And I'm like, okay, go ahead. And she was very nervous and very sort of embarrassed about it and then started the story and then left, but eventually came back and said, you know, when I first met you, I was going to get out of nursing. She, she was fairly young. She's about 25. And she said, I had had a friend die. I was in a very dark place. I talked to my mom and dad and I was going to quit nursing and I was going to go to work for Amazon. And mm-hmm. she said, then I met you. And I saw what you go through every day, how hard this is on you and how you continue to move forward. Mm -hmm. And she said, I knew I was right where I was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Now, if she would have never told me that story, I would have had no idea that I had an impact on her life. And Mm -hmm. think about the number of people out there. I mean, think about the number of people who probably you have no idea who they are, but they look up to you for for what you're doing with this podcast and things like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we we tend to. I think now these days, you know, there's a tendency to be, it's all about me. It's all about, Mm -hmm. it's not all about you. That's one thing I learned in team sports is Mm -hmm. that, you know, if, if I don't hold up my end of the bargain, if I don't do what I'm supposed to do, not only do I let myself down, I let my teammates down. I let my coaches down. I let my fans down and things like that. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, the biggest team game that we all play is the game of life. Yeah. And it, it's not about you. It's about us. Mm-hmm. And, and the sooner you realize that, that we're all interconnected, regardless of our, our race or our socioeconomic background or our sex or anything like that, we're mm-hmm. all connected. And yeah. if you remember that, we can get a whole lot done if we're connected. Individually, very hard to get stuff done. Exactly. Exactly. And that's a really solid point, especially um, I, I think sometimes people take it to either or extremes and the common denominator is accepting accountability at the end of the day. But it's like, you have one person that's like, well, I don't matter. Cause I'm just, a, I'm just me. And they don't do anything. They don't um, act. You know what I mean? I always say like you count. So act as if you do to contribute to the collective um, purpose, you know, but then you have the other side. That's like, it's all about me. It is. Like, can we get in the middle a little bit here? So I, I just, I want people to know that it's like, you do have, you know, a purpose, you have something to contribute. So do that. Don't, you know, I don't believe you would be here just as a waste, you know? So I love your point about that, that it's like, it's not about it being self-centered, you know, but it's also about being purposeful in, in what you're doing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. 
So let's chat about like kind of helping us get our minds under control. Now, also, are you are you still in the middle of fighting this cancer? I am. Oh my gosh! Start again Monday on on another round of treatment. Jeez. Yeah. Wow. It's it, it the the treatment is helping uh, yeah. somewhat, but it it's not going to be a cure. It's just going to buy tough. me some more time. So. I don't, you know, people ask you, you know, do you worry about, I, I don't worry about dying. I found my purpose in life. Mm-hmm. I live that purpose. So dying does not really scare me that much. I mean, it's mm-hmm. when I found out I, I, I had my leg amputated in April of 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, after that, I, I went to the mortuary, I went to the cemetery, I went to the church and I planned my funeral and, and I got some pushback from that, from people, people like, you mm-hmm. know, that's kind of defeatist, isn't it? And I, I kind of looked at them like, Last time I checked, we're all going to die. I don't think anybody's working on a cure for life or anything like that right now. So I said, you know what? Everybody dies. Not everybody really lives. And Mm -hmm. I focus more on the really living part of it and have given this gift to my family so that when I do die, whenever Mm -hmm. that is, and I'm not looking, I don't think it's going to be tomorrow, but none of us knows that. Mm -hmm. But when it happens, my family makes one phone call and everything's taken care of. They don't have to deal with the added stress of me dying and having to plan my funeral for me. Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh my goodness. Well, I definitely am saying a prayer and, and sending you as much support as I can, you know, um, Thank you. I know that's tough. That's really tough. I know like, you know, we try to be as brave as we can, but it's still tough to go through. So um, I definitely admire your strength and the push to keep going. It's it's the way I'm wired. I, I mean, yeah. you know, we, we we talk. I talk about the things I've learned. Yeah, it's been nine years, and you know, I, I I talk about my four truths, and these are things that 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 I've learned over these these past nine years. And 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 if you don't mind, I'll just give them to you. They're just yeah, of course. Um, that I have on a post-it note, and it's it's here on my desk. I see it multiple times during the day, and I use these four truths to kind of. Uh, guide my life in, in addition to what I call the three F's, with your, which are faith, family, and friends. But the first truth is you need to control your mind or your mind will control you. Mm-hmm. The second one is you need to embrace the pain and the discomfort that we all face in life and use that to make you a stronger and more determined individual. The third one is more of a legacy uh, truth, which is what we leave behind is what Mm we weave in the hearts of other people. Mm. And then the fourth one is, as long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. And Mm -hmm. so I I use those, you know, and I I always tell people, it's like, look, pain is inevitable. We're all going to experience pain in our lives. And it doesn't have to be cancer pain or terminal illness like I am. I mean, you could flunk a test at school or break up with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or, you know, not get the promotion at work that you think you deserve. We're all going to experience pain. Suffering, on the other hand, that's optional. That's what you do with that pain. Do you use it to make you stronger, to make you tougher, to make you more determined? Or do you sit down in it and wallow in it and want, want to feel sorry for yourself and, and let people you know, feel sorry for you? And, and I guess there's one thing I guess I want to say about that is that I don't want your audience to think that I have all the answers. I mean, there's no S on my chest. I don't wear a cape and fly around or anything like that. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I have bad days. You know, I have bad yeah. days where I cry. I have bad days where I get down where, you know, where I feel that, you know, this is hopeless. 
Mm-hmm. But I just don't let myself stay there. It's mm-hmm. like, you know what? No, I'm going to use this pain. It's going to make me stronger and we're going to keep moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I love those truths. That's incredible. I love that. Very, very solid and, and strong to live by. And simple, you know. I, yeah, I mean, easy to know, remember. Yeah, and, and I always tell people, if you like them, use them for yourself. If you want to add another one or take one out and something else that resonates for you, we all have those truths in our lives. We, mm-hmm. we just need to find them. And, and this is how I'm going to live my life. And, you know, hopefully they're they're good truths and they're things that help you lead a good life and that. So, yeah, I mean, everybody's got them. They, I just have plenty of time to think about them. So I was going <laughs> to codify them a little bit more. <laughs> Oh, no, that's great that you utilize your time to think of, you know, productive things. Some people have all the time in the world and completely waste it, you know? Right. Exactly. Absolutely. All right. Cool deal. Well, let's chat about how, how do you feel about controlling your mind, especially with what you've been faced with? Yeah, I I think it's, it's, you know, it's, it's number one for a reason, because I really think everything else sort of flows out of it. If you can't yeah. control your mind. And when I was in high school, I had, this is really kind of the first time that I sort of understood the control your mind part of it. Mm-hmm. I, I had three knee surgeries and I was a pretty good basketball player. But when I went back playing, I kept getting these negative messages, you know, mm-hmm. in my head, like, you know what, you're probably a step slower and coaches aren't going to want to recruit you to come play for them in college. And, and I, I think the first way to deal with that is one to recognize that those, those thoughts are there because we get, as you know, bombarded with all kinds of, you know, external stimuli every day. And, you know, that somebody said once, you know, we get 70,000 thoughts a day. Well, first of all, you got to recognize that negative thoughts there. And then secondly, you got to, you got to just flip the switch and say, Mm -hmm. no, I'm still playing at an elite level and coaches are still contacting me interested in having me come play for them. So you need to get rid of that negativity. But, you know, if you think about it, our, our minds know our fears, they know our vulnerabilities and they know our insecurities and they will use those against us. Anytime we step out of the quote unquote status quo, the mind likes the status quo, the way things are right now, it's good. Don't mess with it. Don't do anything. But the only way we are going to grow, the only way we're going to get better at anything is to step out of that comfort zone. And as soon as we do, the brain starts in there about, I mean, it would be like, you know, if you got up this morning and said, all right, you know, Lindsay's going to go skydiving this morning. I mean, your brain would immediately kick in and be like, wait a minute, Liz, you know, right. What's going on? Not open. the plane might crash. you know, it's a self-preservation. It is. I yeah. know it's funny, but in a way it, it, it is that way. Yeah. But if that's your passion and something you want to do, you've mm-hmm. got to override that brain. Because mm-hmm. if you think about one of the chapters I devoted uh, in my book was, and, and I titled the chapter this, most people think with their fears and their insecurities instead of using their minds. Yeah. And I know I've done it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I want to do something. Oh, that scares me. Or if I do that, what, and I, and I don't, and I'm not successful at it. What are people going to say about me and things like that? Mm-hmm. We do that all the time, but that's not using our minds. That's using our fears. And I, mm-hmm. I don't want to live my life based on that, 
you know, on those decisions that I made out of fear. I, I want my mind to be, or my life to be based on the decisions that I made, not the ones others made for me or the ones I refused to make because I was, I was scared or I was insecure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I love that because it's true. I mean, we're kind of fighting with their brains every day. I guess it's just set up like that. But I think the most important thing is to remember you're the one programming it. You're the one kind of feeding it, you know, with what you're thinking and what you're saying to yourself. So it takes practice. It takes time. It takes consistency to, nope, this is this is what we're doing now, brain. <laughs> like, you, you, you'll adapt eventually. <laughs> um, but I get it. I mean, a lot of people, it, it's tough for, for a lot of people. But those that push through that resistance, you'll you'll be able to get to that other side for sure. You're, you're right. And, and and you're absolutely right. If, if you, if you realize the thought is there, if you flip the switch, okay, that's fine. Well, and, and again, don't, don't beat yourself up. If you know, Oh, I got all these negative. I keep, th- that's okay. Keep flipping the switch mm-hmm. because eventually, you know, it's like anything else that, that's worthwhile. It takes time. It's not going to, you know, like, like you say, all these negative thoughts didn't just pop up. They're accumulation of your life and the experiences yeah. that you've had. So when they're coming in, you a realize it. Great. Okay. That's there. Don't like that. want to change that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Here's the new thought over just like they came in over a period of time. It's going to take time to change that to the point where, but it'll change. If you keep on it, if you keep saying, no, that's not, that's not what I want. I want this thought. This is a better thought bang, I'll put that in there. Over time, you will get to the point where there'll be a whole lot less negative thoughts in your head and a whole lot more positive ones. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, you know, our brains can hold one thought at a time. Why would you make that a negative thought? Mm. Very good point. I like that. It's they're quick thoughts, but it's one at a time. So I I think we hang on to that part, right? We can help it a lot easier. Do you feel like you, like if you could go back in time, would you change anything? Do you have any regrets or do you feel like, no, like this is, I, I did everything that I ever put my mind to. You seem like a pretty mentally strong guy. So. I, I think I am. I, I mean, that, that certainly has come from a, a lot of adversity that I've had to mm-hmm. overcome in my life, but right. I mean, regret wise, I think the regrets that that mostly I have in my life are the times when I was selfish and that Mm -hmm. selfishness hurt other people. Mm -hmm. But but other than that, I I really feel I've done the things that were either my my purpose in Mm -hmm. life or things that I had a, a deep interest in and I wanted to pursue. So I don't have any regrets in that regard. It's not like Gee, I wish I would have learned to play the piano or, you know, or something like that. I, I, I don't, I mean, mm-hmm. if I could play the piano, it'd be great, but it's not something that I, you know, I will go to my death saying, gee, I wish I would have. <laughs> right. <laughs> it won't be in your mind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So again, my regrets are more, did my behavior hurt someone else? Mm-hmm. That, and, and when it did, that, that's what I regret. And, and I've, as I am probably coming to the end of my life, I, I have tried to make amends with those people that, that I did hurt. And, mm-hmm. and hopefully they will, you know, they're never going to forget, but hopefully they will forgive me for, for doing that. And mm-hmm. like I said, you know, that's part of learning. We make mistakes and sometimes people get hurt and sometimes we have to hurt people to find our purpose. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not easy and it feels bad, but 
you know, we have to move in a different direction. And those people may not want to move in that same direction we want to go in. But where we want to go is our purpose. It's our passion. It's the reason we were put here. So we, we have to do it. And those people get hurt along the way. And, and it's a shame, but it's part of our, our process of growing and developing. And, you know, it's part of other people's process. I got hurt here. What did I learn from it? Hopefully I can take that and, and make my life a better a better life based on, yes, I was hurt. So it, it kind of, if you look at it in a way, it, we all kind of benefit depending on which side of the coin we're on. That's a really good point too, because it's inevitable, even when you're not even trying to hurt anyone. I mean, we have no idea someone's story, their perception, their biases, their own inner trauma or wounds. And I mean, it's impossible to, to not, you know, trigger that sometimes, even if you're just being yourself, you, you know, someone can, can feel that sense of pain, but I can definitely understand in retrospect of, of looking back on your life, if there's something that, you know, you, I mean, a lot of times we punish ourselves out of ignorance because we really don't know better. Even when we consciously know better, there's some, some reasons why we don't really know why we do the things we do. I can understand as you're going through your life in retrospect, now that you have more understanding of who you are as a person and just life in general, it's like, ah, I didn't have to do that. <laughs> but yeah. that's just, and, that's just how it is, you know? And that's maturity. You know, that's mm-hmm. whether it's just physical maturity or it's emotional maturity that you, you learn. Yeah. That was, I shouldn't have done that. Or I didn't need to do that. Or I didn't need to hurt that person or myself, mm-hmm. but I learned from that. I, I yeah. learned that I didn't have to do that. So Hopefully, you know, you're, you're not going to make the same mistake again because you, you you focused on it, you learned from it, and now you can move forward without making that same mistake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to your book, could you share a little bit about your book with us, Sustainable sure. Excellence? So Sustainable Excellence, the sort of the subtitle is the the 10 principles to leading your uncommon and extraordinary life. And Mm -hmm. it, it, it's really a book that was born out of two conversations. I had one was with a former player uh, who had moved to Colorado where my wife and I live and we'd had dinner with her and her fiance. And I said to her one day, you know, I'm really excited to, to that you're living close and I can watch you find and live your purpose. And she got real quiet for a while and, She kind of looked at me and she's like, well, coach, what do you think my purpose is? I said, I have no idea what your purpose is. That's what your life should be about. Finding Mm -hmm. the reason you were put on this earth. And then once you find that reason, live it. Mm -hmm. That was one conversation. Another conversation was with a young man in college who connected with me. And he said, you know, what are the things I need to learn to not only be successful in my job or in business when I get out of college, but, but to be successful in life. And I didn't want to give him the, you know, get up early, you know, help others kind of, not that those aren't important. They are, they're incredibly important, but I, I kind of felt they've been done and, and done a lot. So I wanted to see if I could come up with something, something new, something different that maybe would go a little bit deeper. And so I spent some time and I, I wrote some notes and eventually I had these 10 thoughts, these 10 principles, and I sent them to him. And then I stepped back and I was like, you know, I've got a life story that fits under this principle, or I know somebody whose life emulates this principle. And so literally, I had my leg amputated in April of 2020. 
I started chemotherapy for the tumors in my lungs in June of 2020. And during that three month period where I was healing, I spent that time sitting at the computer, basically building stories under each of those principles. Mm -hmm. And that's how the book came about. And, and I remember when I, when it came out, I was all, you know, I got to sell books. I got to sell books. I got to sell books. And I had a, a best-selling author over in the UK who I connected with kind of pull me aside, so to speak. And he said, Terry, you're missing the point here. Your job is not to sell books. Your job is to help people. If you mm -hmm. help people, your books will sell themselves. Mm -hmm. And I, I was so glad he said that to me because I, I, I didn't write the book to make money or to get famous or even to get more speaking engagements. I mm -hmm. wrote it to try to make a difference in people's lives. So I, I was glad he told that to me. So I, I don't worry so much about selling books. I just worry about more helping people and with whatever time I have left. And the book will take care of itself. It's not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, through your book is really the best way to immortalize yourself. Like we can still have a piece of you here, um, you know, when, whenever yeah. you leave. And, and that's kind of my approach even now, you know, um, I just, I just have it in my mind that, that that's my biggest motivator is, you know, how do you want to be remembered? What do you want to leave behind? Because we all know we're going to leave at some point, but you know, what mark do you want to leave before you go? Exactly. And that's, you know, what are people going to say about you at your funeral? Mm -hmm. And if, if you think about that now, when, you know, you hopefully you're not dying or, or, you know, you're, you're younger. And, and, and again, I'm not saying you've got to live a life based on what other people say about you. That's, right. that's not what that's not. about. No. But, yeah. you know, if, if people are saying negative things about you, maybe you ought to kind of perk up and say, well, why are they saying that? And, and if, if you agree with them, then maybe you have time to change and to make, you know, make your life better and things like that. And mm -hmm. I know I, I do, I do quite a few podcasts from around the world and, and culture and ancestry are important to, to some people. So part of that legacy is, would your, would your ancestors be proud mm -hmm. of the life that you have lived? You know, they kind of paved the way for you and would, would they be proud of that? And so those are a couple of things to think about, I guess, as, as we think about the end of our life and what our legacy is going to be. And mm -hmm. you know, I, I've been asked, you know, how do you want to be remembered? And I'm like, I don't, really have any great, you know, I mean, nobody's going to name a building or a sign or a, you know, a street <laughs> or anything after me. So it's like, I don't really have any great desire to be remembered. I just hope that the life that I've lived has made a positive impact on other people. And, you know, hopefully from time to time, they'll remember that I had that impact. And I guess I can live on in that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. I wasn't expecting all of this, Terry. <laughs> and on a I, Saturday? <laughs> no, no. But, but you're just so full of life. Um, and I can hear your heart through your voice. And so, I mean, without knowing the, the background story, I would have no clue. Yeah, I've been lucky. I, you know, when I started chemotherapy, I got the whole lecture of, you know, you're going to be tired. You're going to lose your hair. You're going to do that. And, and I never, my hair never fell out. I mean, I kept going to my oncologist. When am I going to lose my hair? And he was like, well, maybe you won't. I mean, it's been long enough in the treatment that mm -hmm. there are just some people that they don't lose their hair. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I was all kind of, you know, going for the bald look and all that stuff. And <laughs> you're, 
you know, you got hair. I'm like, okay. So <laughs> if you look at me, I don't look sick. Well, if you look at me from, you know, sort Compared of the waist to, up, uh, yeah, okay. from the, you know, I don't have a leg and things like that. That's a little bit different, but mm. I, I don't let that, that stop me. I, I, I had a nurse who asked me one time, you know, what was it like to lose your, your foot and then to lose your leg? And mm. I, I told her, I said, I'll be honest with you. It's not, it was not easy. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. still learning how to walk with a prosthetic leg and that, and I'm not, it's a very slow process. I told her, but I am so much more than the sum of my parts. And yeah. I, you know, I said, you can take anything physically away from me. There was a, a basketball coach by the name of Jim Valvano who coached at North Carolina state mm -hmm. uh, way back in, in the, not way back, but he, he won an award back in the nineties for courage because he was dying of cancer and he gave a great speech. You can you can YouTube it if, if you want to listen to it. It's it's something I think everybody would get something out of. But he talks about how cancer can take all my faculties, mm -hmm. but cancer can't touch my mind. It can't touch my heart and it can't touch my soul. And and I didn't understand that in 1993 when he gave that speech. I understand that now. Mm -hmm. You know, th this body that these these limbs and appendages that have been cut off and and, you know, are are. Yeah, it's bad, but hopefully they're being used to help, you know, gain knowledge from doctors that, that can help other people. That's not who I am. Who I am is my heart, my mind, my soul. And, and this is just a vessel. This is just something to contain that. And as long as you remember that, all the physical pain, all the things we go through in our lives, that's, that's not important. That's not who you, I mean, it is important. Don't get me wrong, but sure, yeah. it, it, it's not who you are. Right. Who you are is much deeper than that. And if you keep that in mind, you can go, you can have a lot of physical, physical pain, physical damage to your body and not affect the person who you really are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's like the, the biggest sign of strength to still push on. And it's like, Hey, I, I'm still me. Like it doesn't change your character. You know, you're not, um, kind of putting yourself in that victim mentality and, and usually that's what, you know, will take people, you know, away quicker by just kind of falling into that trap of just giving up in that way of just, like, oh, well, it's all over from here now. So I love the fact that, you know, you have come to a place of acceptance, you're embracing <clears throat> everything that's coming your way, but you're still pushing through to have a positive impact. And that is like the biggest testament of strength and courage, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, I, I don't know when I'm going to die. No, none of us do. I And I, I don't worry about yeah. that. You know, I, I, I always say that, you know, when I die way above my pay grade, you know, don't pay me enough money to worry about that. So I, I, don't, I don't concern myself with it. When it happens, it happens. And when it happens, I'm ready for it because I have lived the purpose for which I was put on this earth. And so it's okay to go on. And, and I don't understand why people are so afraid to die, especially if you live the life you were put here to do. I, I mean, we see it every year, you know, the, the fall comes and things die. And, and then in the spring, things come back and, the, and, and there's new life. And we it, it's, it's you know, for lack of a kind of corny phrase, the circle of life. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. It happens to us too. We see it every year, but it happens to us as well. So don't be afraid of it. Just go out there and live the reason you were supposed to be here. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's I think that's the best, best words of wisdom 
to have. And you'll find that you'll live a fuller life as opposed to being afraid of living, really. Exactly. That, that's mm-hmm. a great point. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. Did you have anything else or more that you wanted to share about your journey or your book or anything? I, I'll, I'll, I'll end this, if you don't mind, with, with one quick story. Of course. Um, yes. So I, I've always been a big fan of Westerns, you know, especially growing up movies and television shows. I remember my mm-hmm. mom and dad used to let me stay up and watch Gunsmoke and Wild Wild West and things like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. 1993, the movie Tombstone came out. You, you may have seen it. It was a pretty popular movie. Mm-hmm. It starred uh, Val Kilmer as a guy by the name of John Doc Holliday mm-hmm. and Kurt Russell as a man by the name of Wyatt Earp. Now, Doc Holliday and Wyatt Earp were two living, breathing human beings who walked on the face of the earth. They're not made up characters for the movie. Mm. And the, the two men were, were pretty much about as different as you could you, you could really think of. They called him Doc because he was a dentist by trade, but pretty much he was a card shark and a, and a gunslinger. Mm. And Wyatt had been a lawman his entire life. And at the end of the movie, there's a scene where Doc is dying at a sanitarium in Glenwood Springs, Colorado. And, and the real Doc Holliday died at that sanitarium. He's buried in the Glenwood Springs Cemetery. And Wyatt, at this point in his life, is destitute. He has no money. He has no job. He has no prospects for a job. So he comes every day to play cards with Doc to pass the time. And the two men are talking about what they want out of life. And Doc says, you know, when I was younger, I was in love with my cousin, but she joined a convent over the affair but she's all that I ever wanted. And he looks at Wyatt and he says, what about you, Wyatt? What do you want? And Wyatt says, I just want to lead a normal life. And Doc looks at him and says, there's no normal. There's just life. And Mm. get on with living yours. You know, you and I probably both know people who are sort of sitting back on the sidelines and saying, you know, well, when this happens, I'll have a normal life. Mm -hmm. Or when that happens, (laughs) I'll be successful. Or when this happens, I'll be significant. Mm -hmm. Don't wait. Don't wait on your life to come to you. Go out, find the reason you were born, live that reason, and you will have, at the end of your life, you'll be much happier and much more at peace. And I'll Mm. end it with that. I love it. Absolutely love it. That is something I will continue to carry on as I finish through my journey in life as well. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. I've enjoyed our conversation. Absolutely, Terry. Definitely um, sending you prayers and and loving energy from here and uh, definitely um, stay in touch with you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Take care, Terry. You too.